Welcome to Plain Talk. Plain Talk has over 120 podcasts containing information about aviation technologies and pilot experiences for general and business aviation. From home to cockpit to boardroom to personal tech, Plain Talk provides information for pilots, industry insiders, and aviation enthusiasts alike. My name is Phil Lightstone. I'm a general aviation pilot with over 2,200 hours in my logbook, flying almost every week with over 30 years experience in the technology, telecommunications, and aviation industries. I'd like to welcome uh, uh, a very cool character, Don Joyce from Don Drones On, a famous YouTuber, into the Plane Talk cockpit. Don, thank you so much for coming uh, into the cockpit to talk about uh, drones, RPAS, and all things remote control vehicles. Well, thank you very much. I don't think I've ever been introduced as a cool character and famous in the same sentence. Famous or infamous? (laughs) (laughs) Something like that, yeah. And folks, uh, you know, Don started his journey to become a licensed RPAS pilot and uh, YouTuber back in uh, 2017 after getting a DJI Phantom 3 uh, R-Pass, affectionately called Drone, as a holiday present from his uh, son back in uh, 2016. And then I I guess you got hooked uh, after you took that bad boy out for a, a flight? Oh, wow. It was just mind blowing. You know, I, I had always wanted to see where our cottage was from the air. And so like the first thing when we came up after Christmas, I launched the drone and it was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. And uh, so I started doing videos all around the area. And, and yeah, and then when, when the new regulations came out in 2019, I started doing a few videos about those and people were obviously very keen because the, the these were new regulations and, and kind of scary in many ways so yeah for the for the audience uh, what we're talking about is the transport canada uh new rpas regulations that uh, really required folks that uh, were flying rpas drones that weigh more than 249 grams to become licensed and write a test and register their there are pass uh, units and become completely knowledgeable operating within a regulatory environment. To your point, Don, you used the word, operative word, scary. Yeah, well, the regulations that came out, I mean, they were way better than what we had before. But when when these RPAS, and RPAS stands, for those who aren't familiar, RPAS stands for Remotely Piloted Aircraft System. Um, this is a Transport Canada um, terminology. And uh, there were a lot of, well, the regulations were were very complete, like they covered a lot of ground. Um, we had not been required before this time to register our aircraft. So that was, you know, people were like, oh, how do I do that? And it was a very simple process and only $5, so it's not a big deal. Um, but the rules, there were a lot of rules and they were pretty complicated, particularly around uh, airports and heliports and things like that. And uh, if you were not familiar with aviation, which most drone pilots are not, 
I did a survey uh, recently and 75% of the people that fly drones have had a very scanty um, encounter, I'll say, with, with aviation until they got their drone. So, you know, when, when Transport Canada says stuff like, well, you need to have authorization to fly in, in a control zone, it's like, what's a control zone? <laughs> <laughs> what's an aviation map? Why doesn't yeah. that look? Google Maps isn't showing me. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people were very, very concerned, obviously. Maybe not concerned, but at least um, in, a, in a state of confusion because uh, up until that point, we didn't, we didn't need to know all this stuff. And the exams, there was, there's, a, there's a basic exam and then there's an advanced exam as well. Um, and the exams, people assumed, you know, okay, you, you take this exam and, and it'll be about drones. You know, like, where can I fly, fly my drone and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And um, no, you have to know all sorts of weather terminology. You have to know what a VFR chart is, like you were referring to, and what's the difference between a registered and certified airport. All this, this, this stuff, which is only, in, in many cases, only loosely related to anything you need to know to safely fly a drone. Don't you think that's probably about knowing where you can't fly versus where you can without, you know, additional paperwork like uh, an SFOC? Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. And it was quite confusing. And then and then if you weren't allowed to fly in any of those zones, you, you need the, needed this special thing, as you said, an SFOC, Special Flight Operations Certificate. Um, and, and to make it even worse, um, or not worse, but more complicated for people, is, is that Transport Canada had no um, study guide for these exams. So I came out with a study guide and a study guide video which has uh, over 200,000 views now and since there's only 100,000 certified uh, drone pilots I guess everybody's watched it twice. <laughs> so. Well that's kind of an interesting point when I talked to Transport a couple years ago they figured there was about 85,000 licensed RPAS pilots in Canada mm -hmm. But at the same time, they figured there might be another 100,000 or more unlicensed um, RPAS pilots that are flying, you know, machines uh, that take them into the basic uh, licensing requirements. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, there, there's probably, in terms of unlicensed drones, they would fall into uh, probably three different categories. There'd be unlicensed drones that don't don't need to be registered, you know. So so the drones under two hundred and fifty grams, they don't need to be registered. And there's a ton of those. They have become so good in the last couple of years. Like the the Mini Four Pro, for example, you know, it, it's it's a four, you know, a, a fully operational drone that will uh, can fly in thirty five kilometer per hour wind with absolute stability of a four K camera. Um, and, and can go kilometers away, you know, 
perfectly safely and it's under 250 grams and it's got obstacle avoidance on it too so lots of capability so that's category one category two would be the the recently well recent now i guess it's almost a year now the mac people uh the, the people who fly remote uh, rc aircraft and helicopters at mac club fields uh, they they originally got a, an exemption from the rules as long as they were flying within the MAC rules and that sort of thing. They were exempt from the, the rest of the RPAS rules. And then a year ago, they lost their exemption. And that's a long story, and I don't want to get into it. It's kind of complicated. But they lost their exemption. So suddenly, they had to register all their planes. And unlike drone, like drone people typically have one or two, maybe three drones. But RC aircraft people tend to have a fleet, right. <laughs> you know, maybe a dozen and, or more. You know? And I, I should just, for full disclosure, I, I fall into that category. Yeah, sure. So how many do you have? So I started my journey um, flying radio control model airplanes, 1972, became, uh, of course, joined a club because it's not something you can teach yourself unless you want to break a serious amount of airplanes in a small <laughs> period of time and yeah. became a, a, a Mac uh, instructor, taught people how to fly these, uh, these aircraft. Um, hung it up a little bit I, in my little collection. I have five uh, flying aircraft and I want to say uh, at least eight to ten kits waiting mm -hmm. for grandkids to come along to <laughs> learn. But I think to, to your point, the, the RC folks did have an exemption, but there were conditions attached to the exemptions. And sadly, uh, some of those uh, conditions uh, were non-compliant and that caused, uh, as you said, a big firestorm. Folks can read a bunch of my articles on this uh, on this topic uh, in the COPA, Canadian Owners and Pilots Associations, uh, Flight Magazine, Wings Magazine, you know, etc. But we're here to talk about you know the work that you do in drones and kind of curious. You know, I was uh, driving down the uh, Gardner Expressway here in Toronto. And was overflown by a low-flying drone. Like wow! Not and clearly beyond line of sight to be able to do that, and clearly breaking the regs in a bajillion ways. Well, maybe, maybe. Um, I, and I only say maybe because if it was a, a Mini Four Pro, for example, below two hundred and fifty grams, you can fly it over the Gardner Expressway, downtown Toronto, um, in control of airspace. Yeah. Well, is it fair to say, and I'm, I'm kind of curious, and I haven't asked transport, so the 249 exempts you from having a license, but it doesn't exempt you from the cars. Yes, it does. It, 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 well, it, it almost does. It, it, for um, for the, the mini the micro drones is what their terminology for it is. I call them sub 250 gram drones because it's a little more precise. There's one reg one car's regulation that directly applies, and then there's a couple that sort of peripherally do. So the one regulation that absolutely applies is 
900.06. I happen to know it off by heart. I don't, I, I don't, well, I don't know the words of it off by heart, but basically it's what I call the don't do anything stupid rule. And it, and the formality of the rule says don't fly your drone in such a manner to be or potentially be uh, a risk to manned aircraft or to people on the ground. So, you know, don't fly, you know, there's no rule, but don't fly in front of a plane, you know, that kind of stuff. Don't fly, you know, zoom over people's heads in a crowd. And I would, I would personally add, don't fly so low to a highway, a busy, busy highway, such that you could be a distraction to drivers. So even though you're not, you know, endangering them in terms of hitting them, you could be a distraction. So, so, so the that pilot flying, that un, unlicensed pilot flying their micro drone over the the Gardner Expressway uh, in such a manner that they could be dangerous. To your point, they would come in scope to the cars and nine point zero six by breaching the stupid rule. Potentially, it depends on how stupid they were. I, I, you know, I don't know what the scenario was. Yeah, and there's a, there are a couple of other rules. Like you can't fly in um, Class F restricted zones, like around the Parliament buildings and and a few prisons and things like that. And you cannot fly um, in emergency zones, uh, whether or not there is a NOTAM uh, for them. So you can't fly near wild wildflowers, wild wire fires, wild fires. Flowers uh, would be even better. You could get some yeah. cool, you know, pictures yeah. of some tulips. Or yeah, those are that. fine. But wildfires? Yeah, yeah, no. I think you're talking about, you know, uh, aviation loves acronyms. I think you're yeah. talking about tempor- TFRs, temporary flight restrictions. Yes. Which, which is also a TLA. Yes, that's right. <laughs> For those scratching their heads, what the heck's a TLA? Yeah, my bad humor, a, te- a three-letter acronym. Yes, I got it. <laughs> Which is also a TLA. TLA yeah. Is a TLA. yeah. So do you th- how, how do we educate folks on being good actors as opposed to bad actors? Yeah, so, so there's a couple of things. People don't like like reading a whole lot. Uh, particularly folks that are flying these microtrons. But every, you know, nobody wants to read, you know, 100 pages of rules. So I've, I've done a few things myself, and I've, I've formed an association called the Drone Pilot Association of Canada. And between us, we've, we've done a few very specific things that, that are incredibly important in terms of educating, making people aware and driving home the message that you have to fly safely. So the, the first thing I want to mention is what DPAC, which is Drone Pilot Association of Canada, another TLA, what we came out with about, oh, what was it? Uh, I think it was in September, I'm going to guess. So a few months ago, we, we came out with a DPAC safety course. And it's on our website, and it's very simple. And it's educational. It is not an exam. It is an education piece of piece of work. So you're you're given some information, and then you're tested on it in a multiple form, a multiple choice form, and and you can't proceed until you pass all of the questions act correctly. And this is a complete opposite approach to the Transport Canada exams, which 
first of all, they don't give you any information beforehand. You just have to research it. And then you, you don't even get to know which questions you got right or wrong. They just give you a percentage and a few little clues. Oh, you got something wrong in the weather area. Um, but but our, our safety course, which takes maybe about an hour to, to run through, is is intended to to teach things so, so that you learn at the at the end of the course you actually have learned something and it's and it's the it's of course the basic regulations but it's also other things that are good to know as a good drone pilot check your propellers before you take off because a little crack in one of those can cause it to plummet onto the gardener's expressway for example so that's the number one thing we've done is this safety course. And as I said, it's available for free on the DPAC website, dronepilotassociationofcanada.com. That's number one. Number two, I have put out a ton of videos on my channel. It's under Don Joyce, but if you Google Don Drones on, you'll find it as well. And these videos cover well, as I said, I've got a study guide for the basic, I've got a study guide for the advanced and for flight reviews, which you also have to do to get your advanced certification. I cover all of the elements of that. I have I have videos on uh, safe practices, how to fly safely in the winter, all those sorts of things. And they're all free. I also sell material that will help you in your exam. They're, they're hard or PDF copies of uh, the material in the videos but the the main thing that i quote unquote sell is free videos and then the third thing i want to mention because it's actually crucial to so many elements of drone flying is the drone pilot canada app so when the regulations came out back in 2019 the first thing i noticed was that the, you know, they're expecting you to know where all the airports are, you, to be able to calculate and know that you're not within three nautical miles. And by the way, nobody think, nobody who isn't a pilot thinks in nautical miles. So all these rules are, are written as if you're a, a manned aircraft pilot, but most people aren't. So you know, everyone's like, oh, three nautical miles, what is that? Oh, okay, 5.8 kilometers. Yeah, it's not hard. It's like the transition when we, in the good old days, were in miles and yeah. gallons, and now kilometers and liters. Sure, but, but nobody's going to start converting their, their measurement system for the couple of hours that they fly a drone every week. So... So anyway, what I developed was an app that did a number of things. It it showed the no-fly zones in in clear, and when you click on them, it tells you why it's a no-fly zone. You know, this is because you're close to an airport. This is because it's a class F restricted zone. It it shows the no tamps, the the temporary no-fly zones. Um, it shows those on the map. It shows you who you have to contact to get authorization to fly them in them. It's got checklists in it, which are a requirement of the of the new regulation. You can adjust those to meet your needs. It's got a way to store your pilot certificate. It's got you know everything that you need to do for your certification and flying legally. It's it's got built into it. Cool. The only thing that's not in there is to get a, an authorization to fly in controlled airspace, because Nav Canada put that in their app. And they have not put out an API so that third parties 
everywhere else in the world, like in the US, there's an API that third party apps can can uh, manage these uh, authorizations. Well, not here. So yeah. how many uh, users on the app? Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but many, many, many thousands. Is it a free download or is it a subscription or? It, it's uh, it's a one time fee and it is free after you pay me $60. Very reasonable. <laughs> and that's Canadian bucks. Yeah, yeah. So the so one time fee of $60. Very reasonable for if you consider not only all the development time for you and your developer to, to build, but as you pointed out, you have to pay some money to Nav Canada to get the data. Yep. And yep. correct me if I'm wrong, that's like a monthly fee as opposed to one time forever. That's right. Well, it's a every year actually for the data. But yeah. Yeah. So it's it's it is a good deal. And man, I wish we could get the controlled airspace authorization built in because then it'd be a one-stop shop. It would have everything. And it would, I think, promote pilots to fly safer within the rules to get their S-Fox. Yes. Yeah. It, well, anytime you apply for anything special, like like an SFOC, you need to have uh, a flight plan, for example. And, and when you go for your flight review, for that matter, you need to have a, a fully... A documented uh, site survey and and flight plan for your flight, and this this app allows you to do that in seconds and gives you an emergency like emergency numbers for every airport within I think it's fourteen nautical miles or ten nautical miles something like that um, with the direction with a script that you can read out. So if you have to call an airport and say I've got a drone coming in your direction and it's out of control. You have a script right in front of you to say it's a it's a gray Mavic 2 and its bearing is this and it's got, you know, whatever amount of battery left in it and it's at this altitude. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, you know, to your point um, about communi communicating while perhaps flying inside a control zone or near near airports. I'm sure uh, you'll remember the. Uh, drone that hit a, uh, a Cessna 172 on sh short final at the Buttonville Airport a few years ago. August the 10th, 2021. <laughs> I'm, I'm only a little bit familiar. <laughs> and I read the TSB findings and report, and they tend to usually, you know, they, they do their, their thing, conduct their uh, research, analysis, and then develop uh, recommendations focused on improving safety and I was very curious to see that they didn't provide a recommendation to communicate with aircraft that might be in the control zone um, and especially these days with the the cost of aviation transceivers just being a few, 200 to 400 dollars why they didn't recommend that and I'm curious your thoughts on would that improve safety would that be a challenge for folks uh, yeah so it it would be a bit of a challenge and, and incidentally the police officer who was flying that drone at Buttonville did have a transceiver or at least a scanner I'm not sure which but he didn't hear 
the the pilot who was following all the rules and did co- make his call outs at all the appropriate points he didn't hear those things and he broke uh, the pilot uh, the, the drone pilot broke at least 12 different regulations in the, in the process of his flight he he was flying in controlled airspace without authorization he was flying closer than the three nautical mile limit to the airport without coordinating his flight with the airport. He was um, flying beyond visual line of sight. He had a spotter, but the spotter wasn't properly trained and on and on and on. Um, He broke every rule. So, you know, and he was an advanced pilot. So, you know, you, you can make all the rules in the world, but if someone blatantly ignores them, it, you know, you're still going to have an accident. Um, now, with regard to the transceiver, that's a very hot topic right now. And we've been working with Transport Canada for, uh, I, I want to say 18 months, but maybe it's only a year. I'll give them credit and say we've been working with them only one year to get this issue resolved. Because, oddly, Industry Canada, which is formally called ISAD, um, does not allow drone pilots to use handheld transceivers to transmit on the air anything about their their aircraft you are you are not allowed to do it unless you have a license and they're not handing licenses out to drone pilots so yeah it would it it could improve safety it would you know it's certainly not a, a negative towards safety it could improve safety if a drone pilot who is properly trained on how to use the the radio used it to say guess what i'm flying a police drone and i'm right off the end of your your runway in the flight path um beware if they were announcing that every five minutes or whatever is appropriate that would have potentially have prevented that in, in that accident and and similar situations but right now right now i said will not allow uh drone pilots to to use these transceivers and that sounds to me like a little bit of bureaucracy, but I'm curious, maybe the ISAD folks are going, if we add a couple hundred thousand drone pilots to the airways, maybe we have a different problem, as opposed to the, you know, we're down to about 28,000. Maybe, maybe that's what they're concerned about. Um, I'm sure that's one of the things that they're concerned about, and they're concerned about uh, people who are not regularly using the radio suddenly coming on and saying, hi, I have a drone, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> being, being an idiot on the aviation. Sounds yeah. like a, a great uh, new uh, course for uh, for DPAC. There you go. How exactly. To, how to sound like uh, Air Force One on the radio. That's right. Step one, learn how to talk like you're at a, a drive-in, a drive-through uh, restaurant. What's your personal view? Is it a, a good idea or a bad idea? Oh, it's definitely a good idea to allow it under under certain circumstances. I mean, there's some circumstances where it's not required. You know, like if you're doing, a say, a, say a real estate shot and you're in, in the Toronto area, you're in controlled airspace, but you're only going up maybe... 30, 40, 50 meters. There's no planes flying at that height, you know, if you're not not near the airport, of course. And it would be ridiculous if the regulation said that 
that kind of a flight required an announcement in advance or anything like that. But certainly if you're flying in a, in a manner that could in fact be interfering with manned aircraft, then it would definitely improve the safety of the air, of the airways. Do you think that we're going to, to see a large scale commercial deployment of beyond line of sight systems, you know, uh, delivering pizzas and fast food, your pharmacy prescriptions, you know, et cetera, et cetera? I I don't know. I I mean, you know, back of the envelope math suggests that there's not much of a business case for for that kind of an application, like the, the pizza delivery nonsense. I mean, it's a novelty, sure. Would I have a pizza delivered that way? I, I doubt it. Well, first of all, they'd crash into all my trees, but um, <laughs> you know, there's logistical issues and all that kind of stuff around these things. But let's suppose the technical issues could be solved. Would it actually be viable commercially? I doubt it. Where I think a, a, where where commercial cargo delivery is absolutely a good idea is in a couple of situations like point to point. So if you're you're moving lightweight, low-volume items from from a warehouse to a warehouse, for example, or a hospital to a clinic, uh, or or a remote situation like that, where you know you're getting uh, blood tests or things like that in in a remote community, and you can fly them in a matter of you know relatively moments uh, to a, to a centralized location for processing. That's fantastic and absolutely required and and would be a great application. Um, similarly, larger cargo drones flying, well, lar- larger cargo, but again, sort of compact stuff to remote communities. Definitely uh, a, a use case for that in Canada and um, for sure. So are there going to be, a, is there going to be a lot of that going on? Probably eventually, but the, the regulations around this are only now in the, in the development phase, they do have some beyond visual line of sight regulations coming out in a release targeted for early 2025. So, wow. you know, a whole another year from now, uh, the regulations are coming out, which will at least set some standards in place. And th- this, it sounds like a long way off, but we'll be one of the first in the world to have standard regulations for that kind of flight. Everywhere else in the world where you hear this kind of stuff happening, well, most places at least, it's happening under very strict one-off, you know, okay, yes, you can fly your stuff from here to there uh, for this year, and then we'll consider it for next year, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Canada is actually on the on the forefront of that sort of regulation and technology. So, yeah. It, it'll get here. It'll it'll take off, as they say. But <laughs> excuse the pun. Yeah, but pizza delivery. I don't know. That sounds dumb to me. It occurs occurs to me the biggest challenge will be battery consumption to keep the heaters going to keep your pizza warm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Especially when someone's ordering their pizza in January and it's minus twenty C outside. That's right. That's right. It's, because it's I don't want to go outside because it's minus 20. Yes. <laughs> right. So, you know, with all that said, Don, what's on the on the horizon for, for Don Joyce and Don Drones, Drones On? 
Oh, good question. So, um, there, there's a couple of main things that are that are happening right now. So, the Drone Pilot Association of Canada, which takes up a, a pretty big chunk of my time, is uh, we're we're in fact meeting this Thursday, and one of the topics that we're we're going to be talking about is what are our plans for next year? Because our our main deliverable for this year, we're, we've only been in operation a year, but our main deliverable will be uh, something to do with additional uh, training material for for new pilots and that sort of thing. And, and your your comment about the radios is uh, is a, a well-placed comment. Um, so we'll be doing some work with, with uh, regulations and training and helping people fly safely. For myself on my on my channel, on my YouTube channel, I will continue to do a variety of videos, basically promoting good safety for drones, making making people aware. So awareness videos of the changes in the in the regulations that are coming down the pike, and news news like the Buttonville thing. Um, when that that event happened, I did a series of videos on that. Including, you know, I did my own follow-up. I talked to the York Regional Police. I got their police report. I got their version of what happened. And it's remarkably different than what the Transportation Safety Board said. You know, and I, I talked to eyewitnesses of uh, when they were recovering the drone. Wow. Ooh, that, that wasn't mentioned that the, the, TS, the TSB report didn't mention that the drone actually crashed between a nursery school and a senior's Ooh. resource center. Whoa, yeah. hold on. That's pretty important. Anyway, so so I'll be uh, continuing to do videos. I'll be uh, continuing to do meetups with people here, there, and everywhere, and and enjoying meeting new people and talking to new people and getting people excited about drones. And you know, yes, we can have fun despite the regulations. Thank you so much for being part of the Plane Talk cockpit. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plane Talk. If you have any ideas for a future Plain Talk episode, please go to the Contact Us page at plaintalk.ca and send in your idea. Don't forget to like us at plaintalk.ca, our Facebook and LinkedIn pages, and this podcast. And never stop living the dream.